No, I was reading this. Honestly, it's, uh, what's the name? It's at Sahil Bloom, S-A-H-I-L. He called it the, the Feynman Razor, and I might be butchering that, F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. Yeah, on Twitter. And he said, the Feynman Razor, complexity and jargon are used to mask a lack of deep understanding. If you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't really understand it. If someone uses a lot of complexity and jargon to explain something, they probably don't understand it. And that had me thinking, because I don't know if I agree. Maybe it's the smartest thing I heard. Maybe I disagree completely. I don't know. But once again, words matter. Cross the Streams podcast, part three of our Words Matter mini-series. We're calling it The Ineffable Now. Uh, if you haven't been following along, go back before you listen today to part three. Go back to part one, uh, where we deep dive some uh, education and research behind ways you can use words as a coach, as a parent, as an employer to influence behavior change and those you want to see it in. Uh, part two, we just put out earlier this week, uh, we talked about passive voice and sanitizing words uh, and the dangers of those both in print and in discourse to covering up truth and also shielding people from accountability of harm they've done. Uh, but part three today, the ineffable now is coming up. What does ineffable mean, Kip? You've said it in the title. It's part three leading the end of the mini-series here. And I didn't really know what it meant either uh, until I used our old universal friend, the interwebs and Google, and helped me locate the definition. Ineffable. I-N-E-F-F-A-B-L-E. Unspeakably beautiful, moving, or horrible. It's beyond expression. It's so powerful or emotional that you cannot use words to describe it. And I was in this mood with this word about a couple of weeks ago because the times we were living in then and are occupying now, the times are ineffable for me. And not in a good way. I mean, in the I cannot put words to the grief, anger, and rage that much of what's happening in the world we inhabit fills me with on a regular daily hour-by-hour basis. Um, You know, I started thinking about this as part three when I was listening to a very smart professor from a very smart law school in a very smart league that all of you would probably recognize the name of, stating the term and using the term remarkable to characterize how a Supreme Court ruling that prevented tribes, indigenous Native American tribes, from keeping jurisdiction over criminal cases where the victim was Native American but the assailant was white. Uh, if you want more background on that and all the other ungodly things the Supreme Court has been rolling out this term, please listen to the Strict Scrutiny podcast. It's part of Crooked Media. Uh, the ladies on Strict Scrutiny are experts and phenomenal at conveying and helping you understand. Uh, it will educate you. But he used the word remarkable, and I know from his tone and the subsequent 10 sentences he used afterwards, he did not think the decision was remarkable in a good way. He probably was, should have used the word reprehensible uh, to describe taking authority away from the Native American indigenous folks to prosecute uh, in support of seeking justice for victims of their tribes when somebody's white as their assailant. But he really, why did he say remarkable? Uh, and that made me really start thinking because I know this is an educated person. I know the, the professor was a professor of law and knew how to use words to the extent they're capable of doing things. 
But, you know, I think his vocabulary was inadequate. It couldn't supply him with any way to express and capture his feelings. And if he couldn't, I know a lot of us that are less educated, less smart, probably have the same problem. So this got me pondering all about the concept of being ineffable. Is it always a bad omen or evil characteristic for something to be beyond words? Or can it have positive connotations and invocations as well? So I went and dove into the interwebs uh, to learn more about ineffable and ineffability, if that's a word. Um, Let me give you some of my takeaways from this. And I'll try to make sure I credit the folks that need crediting as we go through this. There's a famous study. The first thing I found. There's a famous study done in 1966 uh, by Walter N. Pankey, P-A-H-N-K-E, and William A. Richards that looked at when a subject attempts to communicate mystical consciousness verbally to another person, he usually acclaims that the available linguistic skills, and I'm quoting from the study now, if not the structure of language itself, are inadequate to contain or even accurately reflect such experience. Um, These two are widely credited, Pankey and Richards, with coining the term ineffable in the first place. And it seems as though a lot of their deep dive was meant to figure out a problem that concerns scientists and doctors alike. How could another person's interior experience within their own self be accurately surmised and witnessed by an outsider? If you can't explain how a drug or treatment or a new variable in experiment was making you feel, how could you judge a patient's, the success on the patient or the success on the experiment if words fail you? So that was one nugget of information, one study. Uh, so I knew I was on to something that other people had thought about, and this was more specifically in science and medicine, but if people had grasped with what if something is so impactful, I can't use my words to tell you what I'm feeling. Um, next thing I found, there's a lot of research in current articles. As I mentioned, the first one by Pankey and Richards was done in 66. A lot of the current articles landed me in a new area of science and technology. More specifically, in the realm of can certain human behaviors be modeled by computers, i.e. artificial intelligence and science, scientists and researchers trying to program AI to mimic or be able to do human things such as intuition, insight, and inspiration. And if I say those things to you, the three big eyes, intuition, insight, and inspiration, could you explain even to your own child, much less a computer, what those mean? Do you have the words capable of explaining what those are accurately to get them to be able to do it? Say you're talking to a six-year-old. Say you're talking to a 12-year-old. Um, Can you talk about the inspirational moments in your life and convey how they were triggering? Do the words, can you find the words? So that's another area of modern research in trying to develop these algorithms and programmers trying to solve how do I get ineffable human things conveyed to an artificial intelligence. Um, As I went down that rabbit hole, I landed on something that happened in 2014. Um, There was a study done on smell and odor by Majid, M-A-J-I-D, and Burenholt, B-U-R-E-N-H-U-L-T. And this one dealt with the idea, an ages-old question, of why can we all agree on colors? Like red, the word red, R-E-D, means red. And if I said red, you'll probably land in your brain on a vision of red that's similar to mine, or green is green. Uh, We can all do that. But, and this is a quote, 6,000 to 7,000 languages spoken across the globe today. Each one has a solution to the communicative situation faced by speakers. Each one has a different solution 
to the communicative situation faced by speakers in different classes, social, cultural, and ecological niches about smell. The apparent inevitability of, of telling humanity or something specific, even speakers of English, what something smells like. And now, you are, probably like I did, trying to figure out how you last described a smell without using like a curse word attached to it. It's hard. Um, and this study talked about how across languages, olfactory designation, talking about smell and conveying it accurately to somebody else is ineffable. Um, but really, none of these, although they were interesting um, and got my brain thinking a little bit, um, they weren't at the heart of my initial issue, which I started this part three on. When we are digesting the current loss of individual autonomy and freedoms with rising oppressions against marginalized groups in the nonstop nature of such, such devastation coming across our feeds every day, um, you know, really the concept of a just and equal world is in the balance. Does trying to use words hurt the cause, help the cause? When trying to invoke passion in someone else about injustice, is ineffability of these situations, is it harmful? Is it neutral? Is it neither? Is it positive? Um, you know, I found a philosophical debate online between someone that I'm sure people in the field know as, as famous, Judith Butler, versus Descartes, which makes me think of college, um, that sort of touched the topic, but really just put me back in a philosophical problems class here at Willamette that drove me insane. Uh, they went back and forth on the ethics and what went into the idea of ineffability of the body and et cetera, as it's a whole thing that I can't summarize accurately or uh, with a shred of credibility. But then I did find something that spoke to me and I think might speak to you out there listening. I found a piece from 2018 by an author named Rosie Lizroes, and I'll spell the name, R-O-S-I-E, first name, space, last name, L-E-I-Z-R-O-W-I-C-E, and it's, uh, it's entitled When Words, Words Fail Us, uh, and it was on her Medium account, and she also has a website, which is her last name.com, and it said, words fail us at times we need them the most. There's no right vocabulary for conveying the depths of human experience to other people. There's no metaphor, for example, adequate, for standing at the edge of the ocean after being awake for 48 hours, or the taste of hospital emergency room tea. Uh, and then she went further on in an article and said, hey, look at this, babies, we are born as humans, and we're babies, we don't have words. So they cry, and we channel everything they feel into tears and actions. You know, she claims we do the same as adults, albeit in more creative ways. When words fail, we have to channel and find ways to channel our experience in other ways. So, you know, I, her article is really good. I ex expect everybody to go, to go. It's more of a narrative. Uh, go read it. Um, but maybe that's where it helped me land this part three in, in wrapping up our three-part miniseries on hashtag words matter. You know, from part one, words can matter in a positive, good way when you pay attention and you learn and educate yourself to how they can be deployed intentionally to influence behavior change. If you do the research and you use some of the tricks of the trade, you can move people towards something, and that could be a good thing, depending on the user, I suppose. From part two of Words Matter, they can matter in a negative way with evil or malicious intent when you sanitize them to avoid real consequence from the truth they might convey, or when you use them in the passive voice to render an actor or oppressor free from accountability. That can be a negative reason words matter. And finally, today, maybe words matter all the way up until they can't anymore. Because the experience of living must be felt 
that things like love, passion, ingenuity can't be delivered as missiles of vocab, but must be lived as experience felt. Maybe it's more effective to convey what something, someone, or some event has birthed in you by saying what you did in the moment of impact on you that sent me to the bar and a drink immediately. Or I lay down on the grass right where I was for 10 minutes with a smile on my face. I leave you maybe with a call to action from this mini-series that is simple. Um, maybe it boils down all three parts to something to remember. Use words with the knowledge that they are as imperfect as you are, with the same capacity as humanity itself, to create or destroy, to inspire or depress. Cross the Streams Podcast, Part 3, the end of Words Matter. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.